The gospel changes everything. In the kingdom of God, our world is turned upside down. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who is humble will be exalted. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's a blessing to uh, invite ourselves back for this weekend here with you. My, uh, if you don't know us, my wife Stacy and I are full-time missionaries in northern Iraq, visiting our, uh, our family and church partner and friends. And uh, we really like it here. We really like you all. Stacy, that's right, don't we? Yeah, we're good. Did you find my glasses, by the way? Okay, thanks. Okay, just hang on to them. We're just having a chat. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. We do that. They, um, we're back visiting. We're visiting about 17 churches, and you know, some of them are kind of a pre-Lenten experience. You know, kind of, yeah. But we really like you, and uh, and you and you really energize us. And um, as you can imagine, what we do is not easy in northern Iraq. So we're and nobody pays us. So we're really grateful for your church support, your individual support, for your prayers. Uh, your prayers mean everything to us, so just the shameless propaganda pieces. We have prayer cards at the door and downstairs. Please take a bookmark, and uh, uh, we feel your prayers. And it's your prayers that drive us, when, uh, especially when we're having tough times over in northern Iraq, knowing you have, have our backs there, and you're praying in the kingdom of God. So uh, only 3% of all missionaries worldwide go to the Islamic world, which has 1.8 billion souls. So as missionaries to the Islamic world in the Middle East, what are we trying to do? What are we asking you to, what are you praying for? What are you supporting? What are you investing in? What's, what's the goal here? And what we are doing ultimately is bringing the kingdom of God to people who live in darkness. We're bringing the kingdom of light to those who are in the dark. And it's the same for you. You have the same mission here in Waco. See, the coming of the kingdom was the very heart of Jesus' message. I think in the West, we don't talk about that enough. We get sidetracked by other things. It's about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, friends, is the answer to the world's problems. Why do you think the Middle East is such a mess? It's because the vast majority of people there have no idea who Jesus is and no one to tell them. I mean, let's get real here. There's no, solu there's no political solution to the Middle East. There's no diplomatic solution to the Middle East. There's no ultimately military solution to the Middle East. And if you haven't noticed, the U.S. is divided and in a bit of an uproar right now. We come home from the Middle East and kind of want to turn back around and go back where it's more, less complicated, you know, sometimes. And, uh, you know, as Christ followers, our first instinct, our first reaction should be that the answer is the king and his kingdom. We, you know, we grope sometimes for other answers. We get distracted. We think it's going to be other things, and we get sidetracked. And the answer we should know deep in our gut is it's the, the king and his kingdom. In humility, count others better than yourselves, Philippians 2.3. Wouldn't that solve a lot of the world's problems right there? If we just practiced in humility, count others better than yourself, that would solve a lot of problems. So a kingdom is a, it's a territory. Let's talk about that. It's a, king, it's a kingdom, it's a territory with a king. And when believers talk about the kingdom, we're referring to people who acknowledge the kingship, the lordship of Jesus, and who desire to obey him at all times, all places, at any cost. 
That's what it looks like. As disciples of Jesus, we have a task. We have a task. It's to live under his kingship, the kingship of Jesus, and co-labor with God to expand his kingdom, expand his territory. God's desire is to do it with us. Just like we, we make babies and create humanity, uh, God's plan, his way, is to expand his kingdom and territory through us. It's his heart to involve us in this. It's our task. And see, when the kingdom of God comes, everything changes. Iraq is our third post-genocide environment. Okay? We have seen individuals change. We have seen entire communities change. And nations can change. We've seen it, the power, what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. And it changes everything. Education improves. Healthcare improves. Families of life improves. Everything changes. In northern Iraq, where you're praying for us, we work with the Yazidi people. They're a distinct people group. They're about 8,000 years old. Uh, ISIS was the 74th genocide against them. There are about a million of these people left on the planet. 750,000 are living as refugees in northern Iraq. Today, there's about 1.2 million total refugees, about 45 minutes from where we live. The Yazidi people, they have severe trauma. They live in horrible conditions. UN camps are awful. Their tents are falling apart after five years. They get six hours of electricity a day. Imagine living in a falling apart tent with no shade. It's 120 degrees and you don't even have a fan. It's absolutely miserable. But what strikes me is that they can sort of get through that. They're terrified of winter. They freeze to death in the wintertime. But as Christ followers have come into the camps by, by praying with these people, by sharing with them God's love, by, by, by the kingdom manifesting itself in blankets and coats and, and medical care and education, trauma care, it's changing. The atmosphere is changing. The kingdom is coming. I can close my eyes and I can tell you it, it just feels differently than it did six months ago. The kingdom of God is coming upon them. We're seeing some hope among the hopeless. We're seeing some joy among the traumatized. We are seeing people who've never heard of Jesus begin to obey him, to follow him, to love him. The kingdom of God changes everything. And it's, it's, it's palpable, it's thick, it's, it's real. We can feel it, we see it. The Yazidi tell us that, one of the things they told us is no one has ever loved us like you. That's what they tell us. And you stayed. Everybody else left. The big nonprofits left. The government agencies left. The organizations all left. You crazy people stayed. And you love us like nobody else has ever loved us. That's what the kingdom of God looks like when it comes. Now, for the past several Sundays, we've been in Luke's gospel, and we've been learning about the kingdom. That's what's been going on. And we've heard Jesus teaching on the marks of the kingdom, what it, what it looks like to live in his kingdom. We've, we've, we've read about and, and, and learned about the divisive nature of his lordship, that he, he's polarizing. Uh, last week was who gets into the kingdom. That was the question. And today we're seeing another mark of the kingdom, what happens. The kingdom creates transformed people who form transformed communities of radical hospitality. Let's do that one again. The kingdom creates transformed people who form these transformed communities of radical hospitality. 
Go back to last week, the author of Hebrews chapter 12. You have come to the unshakable future. Another way to put this is, you have come to the city of the living God, Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem. God is building his city. He's laying the foundation. And this is going to be, it's a, what God is doing, he's building a, a whole new human order based on, not on power, but on peace. It's a place. He's building this place of joy and justice. Friends, that's what's coming, but guess what? It's available to us now. Thy kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven. It's available now. The text says, you have come to this. It's possible to get this now, this, this new place, this, this, this place where we, that's based on justice, peace, and joy, not on power, not on quid pro quo. According to verse 22, it's those who live by faith and hope have already, in a sense, arrived at this heavenly city. How is this possible? How does this happen now? The answer is, it's possible for those who have experienced the grace of God to form a new community with others who have experienced the grace of God. See, before Jesus' death and resurrection, and, and after Jesus' death and resurrection, what was he doing? He wasn't writing a book. Not what he did. He, he, what did he do? He taught, he preached, he healed the sick, he, he raised the dead, yeah. But what he was doing was he was creating a community. He was, what was he saying to his disciples? You're a city set on a hill. You're a flock. You're, you're a new society. You're light. You're salt. You're a new nation. Jesus was creating a gospel-centered community. It's what he was doing. And that community would reflect this new creation, the new humanity. The new community is a forerunner of that heavenly city. But we can, see, we can live here now as an alternative plant of the city of God here in Waco. Think about this. You're more, you are so much more than a, a parish church. You're, you're more than a, a few-year-old church plant. You're, you're, you're a, a, an outpost of the kingdom of God. You are an outpost of the kingdom of God here in Waco. The church is not the kingdom. It's an agency of the kingdom. We're to be, see, we're to be agents of the kingdom, working through the church with Jesus as our head to expand the kingdom. And because of this imperfect but real joy of living in this community, of being a citizen in this community, you can experience and see transformation. You are a kingdom outpost with the power of God. The power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is in you for the sake of others. See, in this consumerist Western culture, we, we, often, we so often make church a destination. It's a place where we want to feel comfortable where we, I get my needs met there. I'm going to go to a place where I get my needs met, and if I don't like it here, I'll go somewhere else where I can get my needs met. And that just, that's terrible. That's just awful. It so misses the mark. You know? and are we asking the right questions? You know, when, we, when we're looking at our church budget, when we're taking stock of where we're at, where we've come and where we're going, you know, we need to ask the right questions. The right questions, I think, are, does it make obedient disciples? Does it deepen discipleship? And does it multiply and expand the kingdom? I have a really simple agenda for vestry meetings. It's probably why I'm a missionary now 8,000 miles away without a parish, okay? But really simple. That's the filter. If, it wasn't, if it's not making obedient disciples, if it's not deepening disciples, 
ship. If it's not expanding the kingdom, I'd shoot it. It's a dog, shoot it. It's still our filter in the field. That's a nice idea, but is it a good idea? Is it a God idea? If it's not making disciples, expanding the kingdom, shoot it. It's easy. So how do these communities of radical discipleship begin? How does this start? By humility. In our gospel, Jesus is saying that how we live reveals the authenticity of our, our faith or the absence of it. You know, a me-first lifestyle indicates that we are not walking in the kingdom. A quid pro quo lifestyle does not reflect a life of the kingdom. You know, reciprocation is all about self. If we, if we don't reach out to others who can't pay us back, are we really walking in the kingdom? We need to ask ourselves that. It's a gut, it's a gut check question. Am I really walking in the light and power of the kingdom, individually and as a body? See, the kingdom is a feast for the humble. To enter it takes humbling. To eat at this feast takes humbling. To have its power run through you takes humbling. Jesus declares this a precept of the kingdom. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Mary, the pregnant mother of Jesus, testifies to the same truth. It's at the heart of Jesus' kingdom work. When she used the same words, exalt and humble, in the Magnificat. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. That's what God and Jesus does. Humbling the proud and, and exalting the humble, it's a, it's a kingdom principle. We have, to, we have to pass through the narrow door. That was last week's gospel. Notice that the door is open. We don't have to kick it open. We don't force the door open. It's open, but we have to be small enough to fit through it. W.F. Besser writes, only bent quite low, made utterly small, disrobed of all righteousness of our own, and wholly willing to have the coat of the flesh removed from us down to the last rag can one get through. Friends, to enter into that narrow door, we have to get small, we have to pare down, we have to shed the things that don't fit. See, it takes, to get the gospel, it takes real humility. I know people who have heard the gospel and they can't get it because of its pride. You know? The one who believes they will qualify discovers that they don't. You know, we're saved by radical grace, not by works. If you go to God and say, hey, God, I deserve acceptance because of what I have done, you'll find yourself rejected because it shows that you don't see the pride that's in your heart. But if you go to God and say, I, don't, I deserve rejection. <laughs> I don't deserve acceptance. Please forgive me you're going to find acceptance. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. My friend Tom Wright notes, pride notoriously is the great cloud which blocks out the sun of God's generosity. If I reckon that I deserve to be favored by God, not only do I declare I don't need his grace, mercy, and love, but I imply that those who don't deserve it shouldn't have it. A big reason why groups calling themselves churches don't act like the church because they don't get the gospel. They don't get it. I, I could not get my congregation in New Orleans when we were there to, to, to really have any fire for reaching outside our doors, either locally or for mission. They, they just, they wouldn't do it. And I realized finally after, you know, exhorting and preaching and teaching and begging and groveling and, you know, anything I could to get them to have this heart, what I realized was they, they couldn't do it because they didn't know the gospel. That was the heart of the problem. They didn't get, it takes being small. 
And only this understanding of the gospel takes us from party guest to party host. Only by getting the gospel will turn us towards others, to be other-oriented. The gospel is God showing hospitality to the undeserving outsider first. That's you and me. Until you get that you are the undeserving outsider, you won't have a heart for reaching others. You were once the outsider. You were once the guest at the feast. We only go from guest to host when we understand that we needed first to be the guest at this banquet that God puts on. God says, I'm going to give you a whole different basis for why you need to be hospitable to the stranger, the outsider. Because why? You were aliens in Egypt. You were wanderers in the wilderness. You were, you were weary wanderers. You, and you would have died out there. But I clothed you. I fed you. I brought you home so you were no longer strangers. I brought you home. You live by my hospitality, my salvation. That's hospitality, says God. He says, if you've been saved by my grace, my hospitality, then you, you're the recipients of my hospitality first. Now turn around and do the same for others. Go from guest to host. That's a much more powerful basis for hospitality and reaching out. It's the gospel. That's going to withstand, that's going to withstand testing. That's going to uh, motivate us to sacrifice. You know, if the Great Commission is go therefore a little bit far from yourself and be nice to some people, which there are whole denominations that think that is the Great, great Commission. Go therefore a little bit far from yourself and be a little bit nice to people. You're only going to do so much. But when you get that you were that person, you were the outsider who, who has life because of God's hospitality, you'll go from guest to host. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. That's how salvation works. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted by the grace of God. Look at this term exalted. James 4.10, 1 Peter 5.6. It says, if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you. He will lift you up. Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 12.43, you love the praise of men more than the praise of God. See, if you have the praise of God in your heart, if you've repented, if you've taken this lower seat with God and he has exalted you and received you, your heart is filled with the praise of God. You experience delight and love and joy in a new way. It means you have inner wealth, inner spiritual wealth. You have real riches. That's real value. You have real security. And that's what turns us inside out, to go from the, the false riches, the false security of the world, to real riches that, that, that last. And this allows us to become part of a community of radical hospitality focused on others because we're dead to self. See, the kingdom reorients everything. Money and sex, for example. All right, that line just there woke up the 8 o'clock service. <laughs> they, they came back. They were gone for a bit. They came back. All right. We see this today in Hebrews chapter 13. That's what it's doing here. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you had. Because God has said, no, he says, I never will I leave you. I will never forsake you. See, if we don't have God at the center of your life, money is going to be more than money. It's going to take on a power of its own. It's going to have its own, its own steam. It's, going to, what's it going to, it's more than money. It becomes our self-esteem. It becomes our identity. It becomes our security. You know, I have money, so I'm important. I have money, so I'm secure. 
You know, we can look at these you know, super wealthy people and go, oh, look at them, but, but for, we don't have all that, but is what we have our security? Is what I have in my bank account and my portfolio, is that what makes me, I can sleep at night because I, I know that's there. And for people who don't have money, well, then they, they're striving for it instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. See, if we don't have God in the center of our life, if we don't have the, this praise of God for what he has done for us already, at the center of our life, we're, we're, just, we're always scrambling. We're scrambling to get to the top. We're scrambling to stay in control. We're scrambling to connect with people who are, you know, can, can help us. We're scrambling for more money, more security, more status. Jesus says, my disciples have the praise of God at the center of their beings. So they've been, they've been exalted. And as a result, they're not scrambling. If we have the praise of God in our hearts, we're not scrambling. We're settled. We're steady. We're secure in him. My disciples, he says, are free to focus on justice and the well-being of others. Okay? Now, a deep passion for social justice, for the marginalized, for the poor. All right, hold on a second. Time out. That sounds a little liberal, doesn't it? Sound a little like little CNN, little left wing, a little bit, right? But see, at the same time, now here we go. Hebrews 13.4 says, God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And people say, wait a second here, now that, that's kind of contradictory. You're saying, all right, no sex outside of marriage. That's a little conservative. That's a little like on the Fox News side here, you know? You know? But, and, and then, but, then it, but then say, be active in social justice. I mean, this doesn't work. Which one are you, liberal or conservative? I don't get where this is, you know, which bumper sticker do I, I need for this, right? You know? It's not contradictory. There's a principle here. The gospel completely changes the way we see sex and money. It changes everything. See, in the gospel, money becomes a way to build up community. The gospel says if God has given you money, that money is not for your own personal pleasure or happiness or status. It's been given to you to build up the human community. We're supposed to be giving it away. We're supposed to be plowing it into the community. We're supposed to be investing it in the kingdom to build up people who are weaker. And sex, too, is for building up the community. The gospel says sexuality is a gift to you. It's not something you've been given for your personal pleasure and happiness. It's a way of building the community. That's the reason why the gospel has always said that sex is to be shared between a man and a woman in an exclusive lifelong covenant that we call marriage. And that's a community. Marriage is a community. Family is community. The purpose is to create stable, a stable platform for families. And it's the only basis for families. It's the only environment in which children can actually be raised in an emotionally safe and psychologically safe environment. So in other words, the gospel has always said sexuality is not your own. It's there for the building up of families and communities. It's not for your pleasure. The gospel has always said your money is not your own. It's there for building up the human community. Right? That's radical, isn't it? Not, what our, not where our culture is going, but that's the heart of the gospel. And where do we get this crazy idea that these are gifts not for ourselves, but for others? It's because Jesus didn't treat his body as if it were his own. Jesus didn't treat his glory and his wealth as if they were his own. He gave up his, his body. He gave up his wealth. He gave up his, his glory in order to make us a family, in order to make us a community. 
See, the gospel makes you unselfish because of the radical unselfishness of Jesus. When we are changed by the gospel, we become radically about others, and we are formed into communities of radical hospitality. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. We are born again with new hearts and God's spirit indwelling in us, and we are free to share this with others. All right, let's end the, land the plane with our earlier definition of the kingdom, if you're still with me. What was it? When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are referring to people who acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, who are striving to obey him at all times, at all places, at any cost. And that, friends, when we see that happening is when the kingdom comes. In the nations, here in Waco, in the U.S., when we see Christ followers striving to live under his lordship and being obedient to him is when we see change. So from this morning's lessons, simple question. This was not for your uh, information. It requires a response. How do you obey Jesus? From today, what you've heard in the lessons, in the word of God, what needs to change? What do you need to do? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey. Yeah, his love language is obedience. Right? Stacy's love language is quality time. That is not my love language, and I don't want to give anybody quality time. Okay? <laughs> not what I do. All right? But that's her love language, so I need to do that. Jesus' love language, if we're in a love relationship with him and we care about how he feels, it's obedience. So have we really grasped the gospel, or are we too big to admit that we're totally helpless? Are we too big to admit that we have sin and we need a total intervention? I mean, getting the gospel is to say, I am not qualified to manage my life. That was a big step for me. Hard step, took a long time to get there. I am not qualified to manage my own life. I am just going to drive the car over the cliff every time. All right. Are we, question, are we deeply part of this community that's a kingdom outpost where we are discipled, where we are challenged, where we, we help each other or to grow, or are we sitting on the fringes? Do we see church that's an organization that's about meeting our needs or as a, a community built to expand the kingdom? Is it someplace that we're putting in our hour a week? Or do we see this as a place where we go experience the power of God and we give our lives and ourselves to give him glory, to worship him, and to help others on their walk and expand his kingdom. Do we place our security, our identity, in our, our, our bank account, or our social standing, or our GPA? You know, I've done that my whole, whole life. I've done all of those things. It was my grade point average. It was the money in the bank account. It was the stock portfolio. That's how I could sleep at night. That stuff is always going to let you down. Are we always looking to get ahead or are we driven to help others? Are we still um, guests at the banquet or have we become hosts? Are we now hosts for the banquet? Friends, if any of this rings true for you, then, then just repent. Repent. And take measurable steps, action steps, something concrete to move in the right direction, to be accountable. All kinds of spiritual practices here available at this place to help you with that. If, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Friends, the world is in a mess right now. I mean, we live in northern Iraq, I can tell you. It's, it's shaking. And the U.S. isn't much better. All right? What's happening? Two kingdoms are colliding. 
That's the reality. We don't have to like it. I don't care if you believe it or not. That, that's the reality. Two, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are colliding. They're crashing into each other. But it's when disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, are living in obedience to him under his lordship out in the world, that's when change comes. We say we don't like it, but what are we going to do about it? The kingdom of light comes and it overcomes. Our communities of disciples become kingdom outposts where the power of God changes lives and territories. We've seen it. God is glorified. Lives are changed and healed until Jesus comes and puts all things to rights. Friends, it begins. How does this begin? It begins with humility like David. Lord, I've sinned. And, and then repentance. Lord, I'm ready to change. My way is not working. My, my way of self-management has just led me into a train wreck. I've made a mess of my life. I'm ready for change. Help me. And then this all expands with obedience. I was saved by God's gracious hospitality. So now I'm going to go from guest at the banquet to host. You know, Instead of blogs and Facebook and talk radio and bumper stickers, I've never seen a bumper sticker heal a community. I've never seen a bumper sticker transform a life. Instead of, instead of these outlets we go to, it's humility, repentance, and obedience. We want to get on the blogs, get fired up, post up on Facebook, you know, get that t-shirt. And instead, it's, it's humility, it's repentance, and it's obedience. That's what changes the world. That's where it is, right? That's when the power of the kingdom of God flows through us. Friends, may his kingdom come quickly on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that for the Middle East, for all over the planet, and we pray it for you in Waco. May his kingdom come here quickly as you obey him and love him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.